This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello, and welcome once again to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Megan Barcelia. And also me. What's what's my name? I have no idea who you are. Christopher Gonzalez. <laughs> it says it on all these lanyards and things from dance events, so it must be true. <laughs> Today we will be jump starting our thinking from day forty three onward. Starting with a quote. The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. Max Dupree. Early in my career, I was an idealistic thinker. I went out of my way to avoid too much realistic thinking because I thought that always having to consider what's the worst-case scenario was too negative and would interfere with my creative thinking. But I've found that cultivating the skill to be a realistic thinker will not undermine your faith in people, nor will it lessen your ability to see and seize opportunities. Instead, realistic thinking minimizes downside risk. Actions always have consequences. Realistic thinking helps you recognize and consider what those consequences could be so you can plan for them. Gives you a target and game plan. Remember, hope is not a strategy. As you face reality, you can begin to define a target and develop a game plan, and then also begin to simplify practices and procedures, which results in better efficiency is a catalyst for change. Staring reality in the face makes a person recognize the need for change. Change alone doesn't bring growth, but you cannot have growth without change. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being idealistic and 10 being realistic, how would you rate yourself when it comes to realistic thinking? Do you avoid considering the worst-case scenario? If so, what is the problem with this thinking? How can you change it? That's a little bit of a tough one for me to place myself on a scale for. Um, I know in the past I was definitely the type of person who avoided worst case scenarios thinking. I was also the type of person a few years after that that only focused on the worst case scenario thinking. Um, I like to believe I'm somewhere in the middle now where I will consider a worst case scenario, but I will hope for the best. Um like, for instance, with teaching, obviously, worst case scenario is they don't like the lesson, they don't learn the dances, they, you know, it doesn't go well. You know, that allows me to take into the consideration, okay, well, what would they struggle on this particular dance with? Where can I help explain things better so that I can focus on the positive of getting them through that, but also because I took into consideration the negative, as you would, as he puts it, um, scenarios i'm able to get them through that as opposed to just being you know as my mom calls it um living in cinderellaville where everything's a fantasy and everything's gonna go right no matter what so idealistic thinking i personally think line dance in space is very realistic it's just it's gonna take a little while Worst case scenario, there's a hull breach and you're in, you end up line dancing in the vacuum of space. But that can be planned for. You can have your suit on, I suppose, as you float 
gradually toward the sun. (laughs) (laughs) I would say I, it depends. Uh, Financially, I would say I'm fairly realistic and I look at the big picture and how much I'm going to be spending overall so that I save the most possible. However, I also idealistically try to pack in as many expenditures as possible so that I can still survive while also going to every event. (laughs) So somewhere in between those, I'd say I'm like an eight because I also know when to quit. I, I know when too, too much is too much and it's time to save and then the spending can happen later. So yeah, I'd say I'm about an eight. Day 44. The value of a good idea is in using it. Thomas Edison. If you're a naturally optimistic person, as I am, you may not possess a great desire to become a more realistic thinker, but it is a skill you must learn. Continuing with ideas in yesterday's reading, here are five more benefits I have found to realistic thinking. Provides security. Anytime you have thought through the worst that can happen and you have developed contingency plans to meet it, you become more confident and secure, knowing you are unlikely to be surprised. Gives you credibility. Leaders who think realistically and plan accordingly position their organizations to win. That gives their people confidence in them. Provides a foundation to build on and to make your ideas usable by taking away the wish factor. Is a friend to those in trouble. It gives you something concrete to fall back on during times of trouble. Certainty in the midst of uncertainty brings stability. Brings the dream to fruition. If you don't take a realistic look at your dream and what it will take to accomplish it, you will never achieve it. In what areas of your life can you most benefit from realistic thinking? What steps will you take today to move your thinking in that direction? I'm not sure exactly how to answer the question at the moment, but what I was thinking about while you were reading was, again, with the teaching aspect, it brings that if you go through your lessons and you find where things can be troublesome for some people and you prepare to get them through that, not only do you as the instructor come across as confident, but you come across as prepared and... um also knowledgeable that when there is a question you're able to answer it without stumbling through or if there is an issue you're able to accurately prepare a couple different ways of breaking it down Uh, so your students tend to start looking at you with that oh she always comes prepared they're you know they always get me through this hard spot so I know that I can keep going Um, you know they really seem to know what they're doing it gives that impression so people are more likely to favor you as an instructor. Um, I guess areas where it could be benefit from realistic thinking, uh, certainly financially speaking, it's important to be realistic. You know, you and I definitely don't make six figures a year. <laughs> do, do the figures after the decimal point count? That that would maybe be helpful. <laughs> yeah, it gives us a couple extras. 
Um, so to know that that is a limit for us, that we can't just travel wherever we want to go, whenever we want to go, we have to look and plan and be like, okay, this event, that event, this event, we need to be at this one because of X. This one, unfortunately, as much as we want to go, is not as, you know, realistic for us to achieve it because of cost or, you know, time spent there and what times we had to take off if it's a busy week for you for example um how much time I've already requested off for me to know okay well yeah no it's going to be a light paycheck of this month because I wasn't there for half of it so that's going to affect my spending when I'm at home as well as my spending when I'm at an event. Yes, it would be lovely to eat out every single night and you know buy a new pair of shoes and all the different um, things that you can get like the videos or even the t-shirts or anything while you're at these events. But realistically, I only have so much money in my budget so I can spend X amount of money while I'm here. And if I blow that all on the first day, that's gone. So I need to be smart about this and make it last. Um, so financially, that's definitely somewhere I think you could benefit from. Uh, what steps will you take today to move your thinking in that direction? It's just being aware of it. I don't know if I necessarily need to take steps. Um, I guess in the lack of a better term, I already started with financially. I downloaded a budget thing to keep track of all my accounts and my spending and what I spend it on. That's a big thing when I start realizing like, oh, I really could do without all of that Starbucks. That's really expensive, you know, that kind of situation. It's like average Starbucks drink is almost five bucks for the Vente. So that's $5 how many times a week that you go to Starbucks. Um, I know I've cut back a lot on Starbucks. I've already seen a difference. So that's definitely something I I consider. Yeah, I'm definitely starting to get used to these gas station mochas and uh, your hot chocolates as well which you can get for buck 30 or depending on which station you're at a dollar 50 because uh, some places charge more than others apparently realistic thinking I think is one of the things that really makes experienced instructors more attractive to event managers because as cute and charming as it is to have somebody very optimistic but very inexperienced go into an event thinking, oh, everything's going to be great. I have all these plans for you know, how to engage the students and I'm going to go in with all this energy and they're going to just love that. It's the experienced instructor who has some horror stories under their belt who knows what to do when those plans do not go as planned. And just having a lot of good intentions and positive energy does not guarantee that in a disastrous scenario, the optimistic person will have any idea what to do. And for all the, for all the event manager knows, they could panic and pack up and leave. It's the person who has seen with you know bright shiny eyes and then also dug themselves out of the muck of what actually happened uh, it's that person who you can depend on 
when you're trying something new. If you're starting a new event and you have all these fires that you don't even know are going to have to be put out, somebody who's already put out some of those in their time will help keep the event running smoothly. Whereas the newcomer will just kind of, as they say, you know, hope their way through it. And that's not going to get much done. So yeah, I guess uh, what can in what areas of my life can I most benefit from realistic thinking? I would say risk-taking. Taking more risks will then help me get that experience, for better or worse. And then, you know, five years from now, I might have some of those horror stories I can share that show an ability to manage otherwise uh, catastrophic failure. Yeah. Day 45. Men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing has happened. Winston Churchill. If you are naturally optimistic rather than realistic like me, you will have to take concrete steps to improve your thinking in this area. Over the next three days, it's like 15 minutes for us, I will present five things I do to improve my realistic thinking. People tend to exaggerate their successes and minimize their failures or deficiencies. They live according to Ruckert's Law, believing there is nothing so small that it can't be blown out of proportion, whether it's on their resume or a sales presentation. However, when exposed as a lie and lack of integrity, it wipes out one's credibility. First, I could not develop as a realistic thinker until I developed an appreciation for truth. And that means learning to look at and enjoy truth. Television journalist Ted Koppel observed, Our society finds truth too strong a medicine to digest undiluted. In its purest form, truth is not a polite tap on the shoulder. It is a howling reproach. In other words, the truth will set you free. But first, it will make you angry. If you want to become a realistic thinker, however, you need to get comfortable dealing with the truth and face up to it. To get the truth about yourself, ask five astute people, friends, co-workers, your spouse, your supervisor, etc., to talk to you about your three greatest strengths and three greatest weaknesses. Write down their comments, give them some thought, and assess how your strengths and weaknesses impact your effectiveness. I, are you wanting me to tell you yours or you want me to tell me what I think mine are? <laughs> what can you say about developing an appreciation for truth? Well, I think it can be hard to hear what other people think of you, both positively and negatively. It can be very challenging when people praise you for you to accept that praise and when people fault you for you to accept that fault. Um because obviously we want people we, we respect to hold us in high esteem and even the slightest thing that either A, we feel like they might be lying to us because that can't possibly tr be true about us um, comes into consideration. That's where it starts to be, okay, be honest with yourself. Are you the type of person who runs late are you the type of person who puts in the extra mile and always goes above and beyond and are you I mean like you really have to think about it and accept these truths because once you're able to accept these truths about yourself 
you see things in a more realistic way because you don't think that you're either the scum of the earth or God's gift. Basically, is how I see it. Hmm. Truth. That's a tricky one. Because, I mean, they're talking about I mean, they're they're specifically referencing a quote from Ted Koppel and television journalism. And just the other day at one of my gigs, people were watching the morning news. And it, of course, every time, you know, at the top of the hour that I see morning news anywhere, anytime, it's bad news. And some people would say that that's taking a realistic look at the world and it's important to watch news of that kind because then you're seeing the truth about what's going on but i think it's still unbalanced and there are financial incentives for showing things that grip your attention like robberies or fires or anything like that then you stay tuned for the ad break and then you want to watch more of the disasters afterwards and while yes those things are happening in the world it does not give equal airplay to other true things that, that are happening but are just less interesting or more commonplace. So I think the way that I am able to appreciate truth is by developing my own filter. And I still see things in the world that are true. Like, for example, I don't read a lot of fiction. I don't really read any fiction unless it's on the internet and you never know what's fiction. Um, but I, I prefer to uh, listen to like nonfiction audiobooks or uh, listen to podcasts about, you know, the history of things. And I know that those stories are also always you know, told from a, a certain perspective or a choice of two perspectives, but leaving out a third or a choice of three perspectives, leaving out a fourth. Like you're never going to get an entire picture of something if you weren't there to experience it yourself. And even then you only have your experience having experienced it yourself. Uh, I would say a way to appreciate truth is to get those alternative perspectives. Like they're saying here, about you know getting the opinions of uh, your friends and spouses and spouses spouse um, <laughs> I don't know if I, I'm not, who am I to judge spouses um, you know getting those perspectives will give you a more complete picture but it's never going to be 100% everything that could be said so I think keeping that in mind and and acknowledging your own potential ignorance about the totality of the truth will help you appreciate what you do know while being open to anything that you don't yet. And I think there's a little tidbit in Tim Ferriss's intro to his podcast where I don't know who it was quoting. I think maybe it was Steve Jobs or something, but it was like somebody with a little soundbite saying, what if I did the opposite? And I like that because no matter what you're thinking, whatever belief you're holding to, it can be interesting, especially if you're just like sitting around bored or you're waiting for something and you're in line considering what is you know, 
what what it is you're experiencing, what what you think to be true at that moment. Like, oh, they're not, they're taking too long. They don't have enough staff. Uh, you know, these people around me are all I don't know less important than I am. My business is the most important. And then you start thinking, okay, well, what about the opposite of all of those statements? What would that be like? What would life be like if you know if the, if there was too much staff on hand and if everybody's business was more important than mine? And I don't really have an important place that I need to rush off to right after this. And you, know, you just start thinking about all those things differently. And you know, it gives your mind something to do. And somebody else, maybe in line, might actually be thinking those things as their version of truth. So it kind of opens your mind to new possibilities. And, you know, weirdly enough, even in positive, happy times, it can be beneficial to think about the opposites of things. Because sometimes bad stuff happens when you're not expecting it. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, be a doom and gloom naysayer or anything. But when everything seems like it's going great and things couldn't possibly be better, just kind of keep an eye on everything with kind of a moderate um, waiting uh, attitude. Not to say that things are going to go badly, but... Just watch for what you're not watching for. It can, you know, keep yourself and everybody else safe. Day 46. When you approach a problem, strip yourself of preconceived opinions and prejudice. Assemble and learn the facts of the situation. Make the decision that seems to you to be the most honest. And then stick to it. Chester Bowles. The second step to improve your realistic thinking is to do your homework. You must first get the facts. It doesn't matter how sound your thinking is, if it's based on faulty data or assumptions or an absence of facts. You can also find out what others have done in similar circumstances. Why not learn all that you can from good thinkers who have faced similar situations in the past? Next, there's nothing like taking the time to really examine the pros and cons of an issue to give you a strong dose of reality. It rarely comes down to simply choosing the course of action with the greatest number of pros, because all pros and cons do not carry equal weight. But rather, it helps you to dig into the facts, examine an issue from many angles, and really count the cost of a possible course of action. After looking at the pros and cons and examining worst-case scenarios that make you aware of any gaps between what you desire and what really is, you can maximize realistic thinking to align your resources with your objectives. After all, that's what resources are for. Consider a current problem or project and take the following two steps. Do your homework and write out an overview of it. Next, describe the pros and cons of the challenge you're facing. Then proceed to tomorrow's action and continue on with two more steps. I certainly like the pros and cons aspect of weighing out situations. Um, I like assigning priorities and looking at things in a very, okay, which one looks like it's going to be the better outcome? Which one is going to fulfill me the most? Which one am I going to get the greatest benefit from? And I feel like you can't really do that without really looking at the pros and cons. Um, for example, two events are on the same weekend. Which one do you choose? Why do you choose that one? You know, there's a lot to go into the considerations of of that kind of situation. And then what is your priority 
of the overall goal of that weekend for you and then which event now in itself meets that overall priority. Um, I think that's very, very helpful. Sometimes it, it can be really challenging when they're so close together and you have to make the decision between two of your priorities, like which one is in fact the higher priority for you at this moment in time and coming to terms with what decision the decision you have to make is going to result in um, can be scary and it can be difficult in accepting. But if it truly is what meets your number one priority, then that's what's going to make you the most happy. So I think having the pros and cons of certain things listed out is definitely helpful, which that in, to me also implies that you're doing your homework, you're researching what it is that's going into these events and why they would, you know, you need to weigh out each of them. So. Yeah. I was even thinking as one example, pros and cons of not having like a whole truckload of money for spending on whatever we want. And I guess one of the pros of that is that it forces us to be more resourceful mm -hmm. and maximize the value of each dollar so that we're not just throwing money at a problem to make it go away. If we had unlimited funds, then it would be a lot easy, a lot easier to get careless in how we use those funds. And that careless attitude can then transfer over to careless choreography, careless teaching, careless DJing event managing, any of the other things that we'd like to do. So by having to be more selective and creative and effective with the resources of funds that we have, we can then figure out how to do maybe more efficient choreography that hits multiple places of the song with you know a given step. As opposed to just saying, oh, well, we have unlimited counts to do this, and let's just make it 128 counts. That way we can hit it differently all these different times. And, eh, 32 might be a little more accessible for people. They might appreciate that more. And if we can find something efficient with minimal resources like counts, then they won't have to learn as much or take as much time and still enjoy the dance. Mm -hmm. And similarly, you, know, you can DJ in such a way that covers this pocket of people and then that pocket of people and then this pocket and just going back and forth. Uh, or you can find more overlap and see if you can get more of the floor all at once uh, every few songs so that it isn't just constantly 12 people, then 13 people, then 11 people because you're going back and forth too much. This way people get to dance and they feel that feeling of a full floor, which is nice. A lot of ways to uh, to make the most of what you have if that's what your mindset is built around as opposed to just throwing stuff around like it's Christmas. Day 47. Deliberate with caution, but act with decision and yield with graciousness or oppose with firmness. Charles Hole. The essence of realistic thinking is discovering, picturing, and examining the worst-case scenarios. Ask yourself questions such as, 
What if sales fall short of projections? What if revenue hits rock bottom? What if we don't win the account? What if our best player gets hurt? What if all the colleges reject my application? What if the market goes belly up? What if the volunteers quit or nobody shows up? You get the idea. The point is that you need to think about worst-case possibilities, whether you're running a business, leading a department, pastoring a church, coaching a team, or planning your future. Your goal isn't to expect the worst. Just be ready for it in case it happens. That way, you give yourself the best chance for a positive result, no matter what. Continuing with yesterday's action, having done your homework and worked through the pros and cons, now describe the worst-case scenario if things go wrong and align your thinking and resources accordingly. Go through all four steps before you take action. So I know one of the things I have considered a worst-case scenario, uh, specifically with my dancing, is what happens if I was in some type of accident and I lost the use of my legs. Kind of hard to be a dancer without legs. Um, and that brings me to a, well, there's other things I can do still in the dance world other than just be on the floor dancing, um, as well as would I let that discourage me enough from pursuing those other things that I could do. And it makes me think about the idea that I really should be celebrating what I have right now. And every time I step out on that floor to dance something, it's a privilege. And I'm very lucky that I get to be able to do that. And so it gives me a new appreciation for it. Um, I know you've said something kind of similar in the idea of like dancing this dance as if it's the last time I'm going to be able to dance it. Um, It's a way of making sure that you're giving it your all and just being, you know, really happy with what you do have and grateful. Um, As for like really focusing on worst case scenarios, I think it's important to think about them and like I said earlier, prepare for them and kind of consider them as a possibility of happening, but you can't stay there. I think it's really, really important to just know that that it is a possibility that something can go wrong and there are things you can do to address that if it does, but to have 500 worst case scenarios and only one best case scenario is really challenging. So I think it's a, it's a matter of making sure that you know, you look at things that could go wrong, but then you also look at things that could go right and prepare for the things that could go right too. Because what happens if you do such an amazing job at teaching this lesson and it's done within 20 minutes and you still have 40 minutes left of class? Now what? Now what do you do? <laughs> you know? So it's, it's kind of the idea of being prepared for things going right just as much as things going wrong is what's going to make you an overall overall well-rounded individual in whatever field you're pursuing. There's a quote that I saw today that I really like, and I want to put it out there just because I really like it. And I found a way to tie it in with this one. So great. Uh, 
it was about chess and it was something along the lines of play your opening game like a book play your mid game like a magician and play your in- end game like a machine and the idea behind that is in the open game there are certain openings that are common you can learn those pretty academically and just kind of go back and forth between possible moves without really having to think about it because you've seen you can actually study the open game enough times that there are standard best ways to respond to pretty much everything that early on so many of these variations on the game have already been played you might as well just over prepare and go nuts yeah after a while you you've made the board so complex that it's not possible to plan for variations anymore and you actually have to start thinking on your feet. You, you at this time, want to balance between planning for the worst and developing a strong defense for your king and also planning for if things do go well for you. If the other person makes... Uh, a blunder of some kind, you want to be ready to take advantage of that. If you're playing defensively the entire time, eventually the other person's attack is going to get to you. You know, you can't hide in the corner forever. Stuff is going to start getting picked off and sacrifices are going to be uh, offered and you know they'll have to be made and you'll run out of pieces. If the other person is the only one thinking about offense and you keep having to trade pieces with them, capture for capture then while you're hiding your in your corner with like two pieces left you know they they're advancing a pawn to the other side of the board and thinking about getting a queen and beating you so it is important to think about defense uh, but you also have to start thinking about what if i could actually win this game Um, that's when you start planning far far ahead and looking at every move as a possibility to get to the win and also a way to stave off uh, your loss. And at the end, when they say uh, play the end game like a machine, at that point, you're just taking everything that you've set up uh, for both occasions, you know, your, your win or your loss, um, your potential loss, and you're just playing through it. You know, at that point, you've already made all the 10 steps ahead calculations you need to in your head, so you're just going through them to their inevitable conclusion, which is why some people resign games when they can see, oh, wow, six moves from now, every move that I make is going to be forced, and then they're going to win anyway. So I might as well just stop now, because they probably see all those moves ahead of time. I personally never resign, even if I know I'm going to lose, or even if I think I'm going to lose, because... You might assume the other person knows what they're doing. They might miss something vital, and then you have a chance to bounce back and win. So yeah, worst case scenario, uh, you know they they play perfectly and you lose, but there's still that possibility and hope, uh, and you need to plan for this for your potential bounce back and win. Uh, so that yeah, that bit in the middle about uh, playing the mid game like a magician. The idea behind that is that you will be playing moves that they didn't think of or see because you are going to be so many moves ahead in planning for what they might have in store for you. They might think, oh, I'm going to do this sneaky thing 
and that'll be a worst case scenario for them if it works. But you have planned for that worst case scenario and also found a way to block that while mounting an offense against them. So yes, again, uh, open game, play your open game like a book, mid game like a magician, and end game like a machine. Day 48. What we like to think of ourselves and what we really are rarely have much in common. Stephen King. What is your natural bent? Is it toward optimism or realism? Take a look at the following statements and see which one best describes you. 1. I do not engage in realistic thinking. 2. I do not like realistic thinking. 3. I will let someone else do realistic thinking. 4. I will do realistic thinking only after I am in trouble. 5. I will do realistic thinking before I am in trouble. 6. I will continually make realistic thinking part of my life. 7. I will encourage my key leaders to do the same. 8. I will make realistic thinking the foundation of our business. 9. I derive certainty and security from realistic thinking. 10. I rely heavily on facts and often make judgments according to the worst-case scenario. These statements represent my growth in realistic thinking. The lower the number of the statement you picked, the more you need to grow in realistic thinking. What practical steps will you take to improve your ability to think realistically? That's a tough one because I feel like I'm already on a path in which I apply realistic thinking pretty regularly. I will not deny one inch of the truth that I am very optimistic in my thinking as well. I very much want sunshine and rainbows and puppies and all that kind of good butterflies and whatnot. I want everybody to be happy. (laughs) I definitely focus more on the good in people than their negative and I try very much to live in my little Cinderellaville. I, however, am not so blind to the realities of the world to forego all forms of realistic thinking. I know enough about my life and the circumstances in which I have arrived at where I am to know that realistic thinking is important as well. Um, so I do take into consideration you know, the pros and the cons and the worst case scenarios, but I definitely like to focus on the best case. So I guess it's just a matter of continuing to grow in all of the areas and hopefully I just come out with a balanced overall look. I thought that they really baited the reader with that uh, last one. Because at first you start thinking, oh yeah, we well, let's just uh, we'll look at each one independently and just kind of gauge. And then you see they're leading you to number 10 and uh, it's all on a spectrum. And if you're not close to the end of the spectrum, then he's judging you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, I don't think we announced at the beginning that this is uh, John C. Maxwell, uh, who authored this book, Jumpstart Your Thinking, A 90-Day Improvement Plan. So there's the info on that. Um... Which one best describes me? Uh, I don't really have key leaders, so I don't really need anybody else to do realistic thinking. That was number seven. I already do number six, which was I will 
I will continually make realistic thinking part of my life. Realistic thinking the foundation of my business. I think I'm probably at number six. Number eight was I will make realistic thinking the foundation of our business. And I definitely want to leave a lot of idealism and optimism in there. I don't know if foundation would be the right word. I would say like a useful tool in helping the business succeed. But I wouldn't make it the foundation because then I'm just like farming. What's the point of that? (laughs) Gardening is nice, but farming is just wheat. (laughs) I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, but I, I can see I'm, I'm roughly in that range as well yeah and the thing about I rely heavily on facts that one's dangerous because facts what, isn't there a, a quote like um, there are lies damn lies and statistics something like that let me see if I can pull up that quote and yeah and you can you can come up with statistics and facts about just about anything and find a way for it to kind of seem true. But I think it leaves out other things that are also true. All right. So it says there are three kinds of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. Yeah. So by saying, you know, you rely heavily on the facts, you could be a flat earth believer who says that there are facts to back it up and you can build your whole foundation of your life on those facts. But I think there's still so much that we don't know that if you're cherry picking your facts because you already have a conclusion you want to come to, you're still not going to do or create whatever it is you have in mind with a fully well-rounded view. So that's when you really do need to consider the opposite or consider your critics and just think, what if they are right? You know, how, how would all of my facts being wrong affect the choices that I want to make? Like, if you think that you know, it's a fact that uh, you know, dancing makes you happy and builds friendships because you have a lot of statistics and polls and surveys that back that up as well as personal experience, then, you know, you can do what we're doing and promote dance. But if you go into an area where culturally speaking, like dance is not accepted at the time, or um, it's very heavily regulated, and you think that you're going to go, you're going to bust in the doors and tell everyone, you know, no, dancing is the way and you got to do it. And everyone's going to, you know, listen to this music and do these steps. That that might be fine for you and where you come from, and those facts might hold up there. But in this new territory, you might actually be wrong, and you might inv- uh, invoke their wrath by upsetting what they believe to be true about dance and everybody being together and listening to that music and doing those steps. So you really have to consider your facts um, as context-dependent and constantly in flux. They might be useful for you now, but consider the possibility that they might not be later, and then adapt yourself and your plans to that different scenario. That way you're ready for it as well, and you can still wheedle dance in there somehow. You just got to get there. Um, there is something to be said about being aware of your truths versus somebody else's truths. 
Um, Because a lot of that also has to do, you and I can see the same situation and have completely different views on it because of our thought process, our environment, our upbringing, our own experiences. And so it would make our truth about that said event possibly extremely different from one another, but it doesn't make it any less true for either of us because of that, because it's true to what we felt, what we experienced, um, but it might not necessarily be true to the other person. Mm-hmm. So It's like that uh, optical illusion picture of the duck or is it a rabbit where I might see a duck and you might see a rabbit and we both think that that's true. But what's really true is that the picture is ambiguous and it's not really meant to represent either of those completely. It's supposed to look like both. So we're both correct partly in that, yes, it looks like a duck and yes, it looks like a rabbit, but it's not true for us to say, yes, it is a rabbit or yes, it is a duck. It's neither. It's just a combination of features of both. So both of us can be right and wrong at the same time. Day 49. The man who is prepared has his battle half fought. Miguel de Cervantes. When you hear the words strategic thinking, business and marketing plans or military campaigns might come to mind. But strategic thinking is a learned skill that can make a positive impact on any area of life. I use strategic thinking to help me to plan, to become more efficient, to maximize my strengths, and to find the most direct path toward achieving any objective. You should adopt it as one of your thinking tools because strategic thinking simplifies the difficult by breaking things down into manageable sizes and helping you simplify the management of everyday life. I do that by using systems, which are nothing more than good strategies repeated, and I use them for everything from my system to file quotes, stories, and articles to the seven instructional messages I listen to in the car every week. Anything becomes simpler when it has a plan. Strategic thinking prompts you to ask the right questions in order to break down complex and difficult issues and begin formulating a strategic plan. What is our next step? Why? Do we have the right people in the right positions of responsibility? What will it cost, and can we afford it? On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being fly by the seat of your pants, and 10 being highly strategic, how do you rate yourself as a strategic thinker? Write down three examples of where you were strategic in your thinking and the positive results it netted. I'm going to have to say I'm a solid 5, only because it depends on the scenario and the situation of what's going on. Sometimes I'm very much, well, let's see what happened. Let's call it an adventure. And other times I'm like, no, this is going to be the smarter move because this is what the play is going to show. This is the outcome I'm trying to achieve. And so it's going to be more on the path of what I need to do if I've planned it out this way and it works that way and it goes that way. This is what I want versus just the let's have an adventure. Um, I like the idea that I can say that I'm a solid five because I like the idea that I can flux either way in accordance to what needs to be met. Um, I think the only thing where I can definitely use some improvement or growth is just identifying more accurately um, when either is necessary. I think that's 
I mean, I, I think I do a pretty good job as I am now, but I know that there's definitely room for growth um, on identifying where more opportunities could come from just the let's see what happens versus the opportunities that could come from being planned out in accordance. Hmm. I would say that as much as I enjoy preparation or not preparation, uh, flying by the seat of your pants, uh, and just kind of going where the wind takes you, I'll have to go a little bit more strategic. But I think Tim Ferriss said never. He said like if if you put yourself as a seven. What was it he was talking about? Oh, yeah. It was um, business propositions. Like, ask yourself how you feel on a scale of 1 to 10 about this investment, but you're not allowed to use the number 7. Because if it's a 6, don't do it. If it's an 8, yeah, that's you know, that seems like enough. But if it's a 7, that gives you no useful information. So I probably shouldn't go 7. 8 feels a little strong, though. I do like to prepare even like let's for let's say for lessons like we were saying um even though I may change whatever the lesson is like we, last night one of the people that we had intended to teach several of her uh several requests for uh, she wasn't there we knew that that was the case so we had to kind of like you know on the day of decide well what are we teaching everyone else since they didn't have requests so we went with a couple and we kind of, I don't want to say went through the motions, but you know, we wanted to teach them. They were requested, but they weren't requested by those people. And we just, we knew that the person who requested them could probably learn them on her own. So this way we could still say, okay, we checked it off. It was on the calendar. It's being taught. But I mean, ideally we'd want to teach lessons that the people who are present would want to take. So we asked them and uh, one of the requests that came up was one of my favorites and we had the means to pull up the step sheet which is a form of preparation in itself um, so that we could teach it as accurately as possible instead of just relying on memory and we had a great time with it they seemed to enjoy it Um, it was slightly improvised because we didn't know until that night that we were going to be teaching it but uh, you know we still opened ourselves to the possibility that we would be teaching something other than our initial plans. We could have said, oh yeah, we'll get to that next week so that we have more time to prepare for it. And you're only getting these lessons because those are the ones we were going to teach. But we adapted and you know the outcome was better than if we hadn't. So I do like to prepare. I like to have at least enough dances to fill the time. Like you were saying about what if you finished 40 minutes early. But I also like having enough backups to say, like, if a bunch of beginners show up, we have some beginner stuff we could teach them. Or if that person does show up and we don't have to do, you know, the 32 count options, but we're able to go up to 64, even though we didn't plan on her being there, we could teach those too. Um, And if somebody comes up with something totally out of left field, like happened last night, then, you know, we're ready to become ready to teach that as well. Uh, I know Louie has mentioned in his Lion Dance podcast interview, have backups of your backups. Uh, 
if you have music that you think is, you know, fail proof on your laptop, bring another laptop anyway. Um, after both laptops fail and bring a hard drive so that you can plug into somebody else's laptop and have all your music on it. And when that one fails, because maybe they didn't bring their power adapter or something, have a, have an iPod and have at least three or four hours of music just on your iPod so you could play it on shuffle if you absolutely had to. Always have backups. Have backup cords, backup chargers, backup speakers, and prepare for all of these possible weak links to become broken. I like to buy a lot of equipment just in case. So I, I'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable saying eight. I like, as we've talked about before, the idea that I could maybe jump into any role that's needed. If, even if it's not what I showed up for, if I thought I was going to go in and be teaching and then I end up DJing. I think I'm all right with saying eight. I'm good on eight. But I definitely enjoy when crazy, unexpected things happen because it's more fun that way. Day 50. Saddle your dreams before you ride them. Meriweb. I have unleashed the power of strategic thinking to be able to accomplish so much. Here are a few more reasons you should adopt it as one of your thinking tools. Strategic thinking prompts customization and precision. It helps you to match the strategy to the problem, because strategy isn't a one-size-fits-all proposition. Sloppy or generalized thinking is an enemy of achievement. Strategic thinking prepares you today for an uncertain tomorrow. It is the bridge that links where you are to where you want to be. It gives direction and credibility today and increases your potential for success tomorrow. Strategic thinking reduces the margin of error. It lines up your actions with your objectives and betters the odds that you will be going in the right direction. Strategic thinking gives you influence with others. In whatever kind of activity you're involved, the one with the plan is the one with the power. If you practice strategic thinking, others will listen to and want to follow you. What specific areas of your life would benefit most from strategic thinking? What changes are needed to make that happen? Chess. Chess would benefit greatly from strategic thinking, as mentioned earlier. Um... No, this is a little bit of a tricky one because I feel like we've kind of already talked about it. I do. Oh, I was gonna say I do like the idea of being prepared. I'm very much. I like being prepared for the unexpected, but I really enjoy when the unexpected happens. Um, I think that. I do pretty well when it comes to the unexpected happening and kind of like figuring out how to get the best result out of the unexpected. Um, I think some of that has to do with the idea that I have been prepared in the past for certain things or when the unexpected happens, I look more along the lines of, okay, now that this has happened, let's look at this strategically. What needs to happen to fix this? What needs to happen in the sense of 
getting the positive out of this whatever happened. Um, I'm not sure. I guess I can see how they can say like the one with the plan is the one with the power. Um, Because a lot of times, for instance, the question of where do you want to eat comes up and the person who is the first to suggest something typically that's we go okay yeah let's do that you know so I can I can see where they're going with the idea that if you have a plan you have some sense of power or control in that aspect but I don't know I guess I guess I would I would take more comfort in following someone who appears to have a goal and an endpoint over someone who definitely is just well let's see what happens where the day takes us that those are nice every once in a while but I certainly know with my calendar planner situation being what it is at the moment if I didn't look at my days strategically and know okay this is where I'm going to have a half an hour break this is where I need to eat then you know like my days could definitely go far off the rails of what was originally anticipated for them so I guess I mean I don't have a, a specific area that I think it would benefit because I think it benefits all areas And I think I've taken certain steps that have allowed me to, because I feel more prepared, make the, you know, fly by the seat of my pants decision as well work out in my favor. Something that comes to mind here is choreography. Somebody who just dances through the first 32 or maybe even 64 counts of a piece of music and says, yeah, you know, that feels pretty good. Let's just put that on the step sheet and call it a day. They're not looking at the whole map. They have no idea what's going to happen later in the song. So when we're looking at margin of error, they don't know if it's going to need a two count tag. And that little two counts can wreck the whole rest of the dance. Dancing through two counts and not putting in a tag is very uncomfortable, especially when it matches so nicely to the rest of the music. Uh, Customization and precision, looking even longer term and kind of going along with certain uncertain tomorrow, you can just have straight counts all the way through, you know, one, two, three, and four, five, six, seven, and eight. You can do that for the whole 32 counts, and that's fine. But then what happens if some song comes along and it mostly hits, it mostly matches, but there's this one part where it goes one, two, and three, four, and five, six, seven, eight, and one. Now you might be thinking, well, no, it's better just for for the sake of this song that it's originally set to, we should just keep it normal because then it's in the short term less for the dancer to worry about, less that they have to remember. However, long term, you don't know how this dance is going to feel with other songs unless you're constantly song switching to one, two, three, and four, five, six, seven, and eight songs. But why not open it up to the possibility of other weird counted rhythms? If 
it hits even that one time out of the four sets of eight and the 32 counts, it's going to feel really good. And even if it doesn't, well, you know, it still hits 75% of the time with the other eight counts. So it's okay. Uh, By giving it that room for flexibility later and throwing in an unusual set of eight, you give the dance more longevity by giving it the possibility of more matches. And if you wanted to, you can make every eight count different. That'd be a little more confusing. But, uh, I mean, look at how fun go mad. That seems to work out okay. What is that? One, two, three, and four. And then if you count that twist, and five, and six, and seven, and eight. One, two, and three, and four, and five. Six, and seven, eight. One, two, and three, four. Uh, what is it? Uh, one, two, and three, four, five, six. Uh, anyway, what I'm saying is that every eight counts a little different. And because of that, it gives that dance the ability to go with a lot of different songs differently. So that maybe this time it's the third eight count that really hits and the other three you just kind of let slide. Or maybe in this one it's the second eight count or this one's the fourth or this one's the first. That one has so much variability because it, um, I guess, I don't know if it was strategic, but you could say strategically uh, adapted itself uh, for any eventuality. As far as influence with others, this one I don't know if I could say as much in terms of choreography unless you are strategic in enough of your dances that you're you give people the sense that you are credible and reliable for doing certain things uh in certain songs so for example if if you're rachel and you want to collaborate with somebody who hits music really well and knows the difference between you know an upward swell in the music or a down uh suggestion you would go to Carrie Mouse because she is very good at that, especially in phrase dances. And of course, the two of them worked on 85 together. So you can see the different parts where uh, there's one part where you drag your foot back and they say something about low. Uh, Or when they repeat something several times, they do a repeating chug going around in a circle. And Rachel's already just excellent at that. You can see it in like all of her dances. Uh, However, this is one of those dances where you can't really say, oh, this part was Rachel's or this part was Carrie's because it hits so well all over that dance and they're both well-known at this point for doing that. So for that, you know, you, you have um, the power of reputation and a solid body of work uh, that gives other people a desire to work with you knowing that you can probably produce something like what they're looking for. If you want something a little funky and sexy, maybe you'd go to a, say, John Lieberman, and he could give you some interesting movement types that you haven't seen before and also get that sass out of a, out of a song. If you don't know how to move with sass and you want to find somebody who does, you'd probably talk to him. And I mean, I think Doris Voltz has, has uh, talked to me at Boots and Buckles about uh, strategies within a dance like this this dance uses a, a really good strategy and I'd love to talk to talk with her more about that and hear more examples from her but I think that's kind of what she's getting at is that like you can choose any number of movements to match to a song but if you're really going for something specific you do have to be strategic and have you know a wide enough toolkit 
to draw the right parts for the right movements in that song. It's doing this over and over that gives people the idea that you are the strategist. You're the one responsible for it. You didn't just get lucky. Uh, it's like the thing that we've probably mentioned here before. You know, if you say a funny thing, then you have said a funny thing. And if you say a couple funny things, then you said a couple funny things. But if you say like three or more, let's say arbitrarily, then people will will not say, oh, that's a person who has said these specific funny things. They will say, oh, that's a funny guy. That's a funny girl. They'll just generalize because you're consistent enough with it. And then when they're looking for somebody who matches that description, they'll think about you, which brings us back around to strategic thinking gives you influence with others in whatever kind of activity you're involved. Uh, the one with the plan is the one with the power. If you know consistently how to bring the sexy sassiness to a dance, you're who they're going to find. Or if you know how to hit the highs and lows of a track, then you're going you're gonna to be who they find then. And with that, we are about to hit day 51. However, I think this is a great time to take a little bit of a stretch break, put on a little bit of background music for you all. This track we played last week as well, and it is the song that goes with a brand new dance called Strut Through My Heart. Which one? First place, Newcomer Novice, division at US LDCC finals this year took third overall choreographed by local Bay Area guy Gonzalez something or other enjoy your stretch it'll be about three minutes and six seconds long this is Kanon featuring Adam Levine song is bang bang we will be back in just a moment hello and welcome back to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio. Due to technical difficulties, we lost the second half of the episode after the musical break. We had delved a further day into Jumpstart Your Thinking by John C. Maxwell, and we had all kinds of interesting, brilliant epiphanies and insights that are now lost to the sands of time. Alas. We will be picking up again next week so that we have some fresher and more contemporary insights and epiphanies for you. For the meantime, we will be unplugging and enjoying the sunshine outside of Studio Line Dance Podcast, a.k.a. my room. (laughs) say line dance in space yeah we thank you for your patience and your interest in our discussions of the line dance world and tuning in yet again this week for now we must bid you adieu so and until next time megan and i will see See you on on the the dance dance floor. floor